Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a four-time, 21-year survivor of advanced stage breast cancer. I'm also a motivational speaker and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And hi, I'm Sharon Hennepin. I'm a 24-year survivor, certified life coach, and the author of my soon-to-be-released book, yay, February 1st. I know, uh, that's so awesome. <laughs> Driving Me on Cancer. And both Becky and I are the co-founders of Breast Friends. You know, Sharon, I was thinking about how time flies. Can you believe it's been almost two years since we've been on the air with with Voice America? I think that's crazy, isn't it? I know, it is. And our two-year anniversary is on February 5th, and that was our debut show was February 5th, 2016. And it was kind of an interesting morning because um, for our listeners, it was our first show. We were both really nervous. We, you know, didn't really have any experience in doing any of this. And that very morning, somehow, we don't know how yet, our building caught on fire. All of our our microphones and headsets and everything were in the building. And our awesome um, office manager, Diana, heard about the fire, went over there, had the fire marshal walk her into the building so she could get our equipment. And then we had to do the show from my house. (laughs) I mean, we, we got on the air on time and we never mentioned it, but... I mean, I'll never forget that day. Flexibility, right? I know, right? I mean, of, of all the days for something oh, like that to happen. And- I know. Because we were a little bit nervous. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was a new thing for us. So, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. But the the cool thing is, you know, we've grown a lot. And it, now our show is getting about ten to 15,000 on-demand listeners every month. And that's pretty exciting. So um, we do want to let you know that starting next month, uh, February 4th, February 14th will be the first one, I do believe. Our live show will be moving to Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Pacific and then repeated at 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. on the same channel. Um, We're also going to be repeated on the women's channel on Thursday. I don't know what time yet, but it's pretty exciting. Um, We love that we're able to work with such an incredible station. And we also want to thank Athena Health for making it possible to be on Voice America. They gave us a very generous grant in 2017, which made it possible to stay on the air last year and part of this year. And we would love to get continued support from our listeners so we can stay on for the whole year. Uh, You can visit breastfriends.org to make a donation in support of the show. So there's our shameless plug. Oh, well, you got to do it once in a while. (laughs) Right. And with that, we are on with our show. So our guest today is Ginny Mason. Ginny is the Executive Director of the Inflammatory Breast Cancer Research Foundation. Welcome, Ginny. Hi, and thanks so much, Becky and Sharon. This is a great opportunity for me, and I'm calling from the snowy uh, state of Indiana today, so I'm nice, oh, nice to be in a warm room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. good. That's really good. Well, Ginny, um, I know that that you've got a really interesting background. Why don't you just tell us, a, just briefly, kind of your personal story and introduce yourself to our listeners so that they kind of know a little bit more about you personally. All right. As you've heard, my name is Ginny Mason. 
I'm a nurse, and I was diagnosed with inflammatory breast cancer back in 1994. At that time, I worked as an outpatient mental health nurse. I was a licensed practical nurse. And so I thought I had a pretty good grasp of women's health issues. No family history of breast cancer. I was um, basically a pretty healthy 40-year-old, working full-time, dealing with a teenager, and when I developed <laughs> that's, that's hard enough right symptoms. there <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> she was um, 17 going on 25 <laughs> challenges of an only child <laughs> <laughs> and I um, was noticing some strange symptoms but you know being a nurse you don't want to overreact to things and um, like I said, putting in long hours at my, my job, I loved what I was doing, even though it was a challenging job to work with a chronically mentally ill. But I noticed one breast was getting a little bit larger and a little painful and itchy and thought, ah, if I go to the doctor, they're going to tell me, you're 40 years old, what do you expect? It's perimenopause. And you know how doctors don't like nurses oh my for patients anyway. Right. <laughs> so I tried to ignore it. And one morning, got out of the shower, and my husband said, what is wrong with your breast? It looks sick. I said, well, it's been bothering me a little. I said, I've been getting these sharp shooting pains, and I said, it feels a little bigger, but I said, I'm really bad not to replace my bras. They're probably just getting old and stretched out. That's why it feels like that. Mm. He gave me a funny look, and he said, um, get that checked out. (laughs) Good for him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. don't usually tell you to go to the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> no, not usually. So, yeah, so I made arrangements to um, see my family doctor, who was also a personal friend. Mm-hmm. Went in to see him. He looked at it, and he said, well, it does look a little odd, but he said, you don't have any family history of cancer. So he said, I'll send you for a mammogram. Well, for those in the audience who aren't familiar, if you're um, not Older, if you're premenopausal, um, especially as a 40-year-old, you tend to have very dense breast tissue that does not mm-hmm. show up well on a mammogram. Right. You see gray on gray, and that's exactly what they saw on my mammogram. They couldn't see anything different. It just said dense breast tissue. And at that point, you need to remember, I was a very good, quiet pastor's wife. <laughs> I didn't make waves. I pretty much just tried to keep quiet and, and work in the background. And so it was out of my nature to say to the tech, you saw my breast. It doesn't look right. I said, something worries me about this. And she said, do you want to talk to the radiologist? That was way outside my comfort zone. Mm, but okay. I rallied my courage and I said, yes. Good. Good for well, you. out came this little guy who glared at me and said, what's the problem? And I said, well, you should see my breast. It doesn't look right. He said, it's fine. You saw the report. There's nothing wrong. Go home and stop whining. Oh, and then he looked at me and he said, kidding. So, Jenny, what, right? what year and did this happen? 94. It was 94, yeah. right? Yeah. When, so, I, I mean, I know they've come a long way in diagnosing this, but um, wow, that must have been, Wow. <laughs> There's nothing wrong. I just that's that's crazy. So, wow. I know. So I, what I what happened then? It. Well, I went home. Um, I looked up in my my books, um, nursing books, and it talked about 
cysts and other things that could be common in your 40s. Um, I got back to my family doctor who said, you know, your mammogram came back okay. I just think this is some fluke thing. Let's let's just, you know, wait and see what happens. And recommended oh I gosh. watch caffeine and, you know, all the things they tell women who, when you're not uh, sure what it is. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. Wow. And it so, gradually got worse. I'm sorry? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I know that you're now the executive director of the Inflammatory Breast Cancer Research Foundation. And before we talk about that, I know Sharon's got some questions. Why don't we just get right to those? Because if our audience members sure. are listening and they don't know what it is, this might be a good moment to ask some of those questions, Sharon. So why don't you go ahead and, and do that? Because I think it's important. Well, yeah, I mean, so inflammatory breast cancer, uh, so there is no lump. That's that's why you came across as being clear on your mammogram, right? Right. There are cases where I'd say about a third of women also have a, a palpable mass, but so many of us do not. And the main thing is it comes up very quickly. Mm-hmm. So most mm-hmm. of the time... It's, it's not felt ahead of time because this is a clinical diagnosis. It's based, mm-hmm. inflammatory breast cancer diagnosis is based on what the breast looks like rather than on the actual pathology. The pathology will just tell you there's breast cancer there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And they actually well, have to take some, like, part of the skin, don't they, to be able to really get the um, actual diagnosis. Absolutely. Typically with breast cancer, if you feel a lump, they go in and they do a needle biopsy to check that because that's Mm -hmm. usually deeper into the breast. With inflammatory, it grows in the lymphatic layer of the skin. And Uh so where that lymph fluid is moving around, consequently, to really be sure what you're dealing with, they do something called a skin punch biopsy. And usually two or three of those are done in areas where you see the most visible change in the breast skin mm-hmm. itself, the swelling, what they call peau d'orange, where the skin looks like the pittedness of an orange peel, yeah. or where you yeah. have redness or bruising, discoloration of the skin. Those are areas where you're more likely to see those um, cancer cells in the skin. And so it can be a little challenging to diagnose because these cells grow in little clusters. They don't necessarily spread out nice and evenly in that lymph layer. And so that's why it's recommended that you do more than just one of those skin punches. Yeah, and that's a good idea. Sharon, I know that, just for a second, I'm going to digress for a moment. Over the years that we've been doing Breast Friends, which has been 17 years now, how many people, how many women do you think of all the ones that we've worked with have had have been diagnosed with inflammatory breast cancer? I would imagine it's probably only about 5%, which I think yeah. that's about the national average for, yeah. for, I mean, you know, so, you know, really n- very few. Um, I remember one specific young gal who was diagnosed with stage four uh, inflammatory breast cancer. She was like 30 years old. She had just had wow. her baby. Yeah. It was a really, um, yeah, really scary diagnosis for her, and uh, uh, yeah, it was like that orange peel that that Jenny was talking about. Mm-hmm. It was, and and she had a similar situation where her doctor told her to, you know, 
just put this cream on it. It'll be fine in a little while. It's just a rash of some sort yeah. and blah, blah, <laughs> yeah. blah, you know, that sort of thing. And, and unfortunately, that is not you know, <laughs> exactly. that's not the case. Um, luckily, yeah. they have done a lot more uh, talking about inflammatory breast cancer. So yeah. thank goodness. And maybe it's because of, of you being the executive director of Inflammatory Breast <laughs> Cancer Research Foundation. So that's very cool. That so, would be my hope. I hope that's what <laughs> happened. Well, it does seem like it's changed because now they don't rule it out instantly like they used to, you know, because like Sharon was saying that it looks like a rash. Um, your skin just looks kind of red and, you know, and, and there was a time when they all thought that. So, um, so Jenny, how's that changed? I think we still have a significant issue with people um, accepting, especially in younger women, that mm-hmm. those kinds of symptoms can be something serious because we still are called a rare breast cancer. And when right. something's considered rare, docs think they won't ever see a case. Right. And so yeah, that, people that really sense. have to be their own advocate. And if you've got symptoms that aren't going away, you have to be persistent and keep pushing until you have an answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because just like your husband said, it looks sick. There was something definitely wrong or different or had changed. And I think that's the biggest thing that we talk about, too, is if you see any kind of change in your breast that, you know, is not normal, then you need to get it checked. Exactly. We tell women, you know, you have changes all the time in your breasts. They're, they're really subject to a lot of hormonal change, so you're going to see change there. It's tissue that changes a lot. But if you have something that doesn't go away, and come, right. especially if it comes on quickly and doesn't go away, don't ignore it. Um, this doesn't cost anything to pay attention to your body. True. Oh, exactly. Exactly. True. And who knows it better than, than you? I mean, it's... Exactly. Yeah. So at what stage were you when you were diagnosed with inflammatory breast cancer? I was very fortunate to still just be at a stage 3B um, because it did take me four months from that initial appointment with the mammogram before I was finally diagnosed. My gosh. Now, a question that I really haven't thought about until just now is... Uh, is it like estrogen positive and negative, just like regular kind of breast cancer with lumps? Is that is that yes. the norm too? Okay. We so, have a little different distribution in those biomarkers than um, other breast cancers. There's a higher incidence of estrogen negative or triple negative breast cancer oh, for okay. IBC, That's good to as know. well as a higher incidence of HER2 positive. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah, because when I talk to patients, you know, and if they come to me and they think, oh, I have something wrong, you know, I'm going to definitely make sure that they are their own health advocate. But at the same time, that's good to know that it could be any of those as well, but it could be even more triple negative or um, HER2 positive. Interesting. Jenny, I have a question. Um, Excuse me, you mentioned some of the symptoms are like the orange peel skin, um, the red kind of red rash. Are there any other um, symptoms that that people should look for? 
One of the most important ones is that rapid increase in breast size. That seems to be the first thing many people notice. They'll even go to bed one night with no symptoms and get up in the morning and go, "Mm, gee, what happened? My breast is painful and it seems larger. Oh, boy. Okay. 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 Good to know. Yeah. I mean, that's not always a sign that it's cancer, but it is certainly something to then pay attention to so right yeah. and and that orange peel thing i think that seems to be a pretty common when the actual mm-hmm. texture of the the skin of the breast actually changes right and it does look very different i've learned in in 18 years now of working with patients and seeing a lot of different pictures patients send to us my computer's full of um rather unusual pictures uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> but yeah. um, it's it's interesting that it seems like no two patients have identical symptoms, and that's an issue with doctors because they've seen a yeah. textbook picture, which is often rather um, dramatic. And sure. many of us have a bit more subtle symptoms, and I think that mm-hmm. aids the challenge in, in getting a proper diagnosis quickly. That makes sense. Jenny, I'm really glad you're on our show because, you know, I haven't had any personal experience with inflammatory. The only, you know, thing we work with patients. But um, my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong because you're certainly the right one to ask. The reason it's that it affects the skin is because inflammatory breast cancer actually is a cancer that's in the skin. Is that is that correct or is that yes. just a... Okay, no, so... No, you're correct. That's where the um, cells are in clusters in that lymphatic layer. And that's okay. what really sets it apart from okay. standard breast cancer. Although yeah. many of us also have a diagnosis of invasive ductal breast cancer. And okay. some have um, invasive lobular breast cancer, but that's less common with inflammatory. Okay. At the same time, you're saying... Yes. They have they both have the uh, invasive type as well as inflammatory. Yes. And it's oh, that's just plain annoying, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> clinical if diagnosis. One isn't enough, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well listen, Jenny, oh, on I, that note, we're gonna go out on a short break. So stay tuned everybody. We'll be back in a minute. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our women's cancer program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a car that 
opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about inflammatory breast cancer with our guest, Ginny Mason. So, Ginny, tell me, who's at risk for this kind of breast cancer? Pretty much any female and even some men develop inflammatory breast cancer, but we do tend to be a bit younger than the standard age of of regular breast cancer, which tends Mm -hmm. to be higher in postmenopausal women. Okay, okay. And uh, uh, to me, I I guess when I think of a man being diagnosed, I always think of it being maybe a BRCA situation. So does this have anything to do with a hereditary breast cancer? Not that we're aware of. So far from those patients who have shared with us whether they've had BRCA testing or not, those who have been tested um, say we have some who say yes, they're positive, and others who are not for a mutation. So there doesn't mm-hmm. appear to be a connection. I'll be darned. Okay, good to know. So, um, how is inflammatory breast cancer treated then? Across the board, we usually receive chemotherapy first. And I feel a bit of a pioneer in that respect because when I was diagnosed, that was not the norm. But Mm -hmm. the uh, prognosis was also very poor in 94. And my doctors Mm -hmm. were wise to call the National Cancer Institute and get input from them as to how to treat me. And so I did receive what's called neoadjuvant chemotherapy or chemotherapy before surgery. And Mm -hmm. to this day, I credit them for probably making the difference that I'm alive today. Yeah. Yeah. And I know my daughter was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer in August. And um, so I got to be a little bit more uh, educated about that, unfortunately. (laughs) But at the same time, not (laughs) not exactly what I want to know. But but one thing that was explained really well to me uh, was the fact that they do the neoadjuvant uh, chemotherapy, the chemotherapy first, to make sure that they're getting some results from the chemotherapy, that they can actually see that the lump is actually reduced in size. And I would think that it might have that same kind of philosophy if they can see from the skin the reaction from the chemo. Am I, am I off base or is that right? No, you're, you're on base, and one of the reasons of doing the neoadjuvant therapy is with 
inflammatory already being advanced, we're never at an earlier stage because it's already in the skin or the lymphatic system. So it's assumed it's in the circulatory system as well, which means that you don't, just to do surgery at that point is not going to change the fact that the the cancer cells have had access to the whole body. So they want to do something that can attack all of that up front. Good point. And I think psychologically... For me, it was beneficial to think that we could watch to see if there was change in my breast, and I think that's helpful to other patients as well. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Wow. So from what you're saying, it sounds like the staging of inflammatory breast cancer is really different and because you generally don't see it at those early stages. Is that what I'm understanding? Yes, if you have a cancer that's caught before it moves into the lymphatic system like that, it it isn't inflammatory. It has to be in that dermal lymphatic invasion uh, to actually be considered inflammatory breast cancer. Okay, so like you said, a lot of times people are at, like you said, 3B or even stage 4 when they're diagnosed. So that is very frightening, of course. Right. 30% of us, or about a third of us, are metastatic at diagnosis. Uh Another third become metastatic during the course Uh of our disease, and there's another third, like me, who are fortunate enough not to recur. Wow, that's great. That's great. And like you said, who knows? That may have been just because that chemo went first and and, uh, could clean up that uh, your, your lymphatic system before, Mm -hmm. before anything else was actually removed. So did you end up having surgery to remove the breast after all? Yes, I had, at that point, we didn't have the kind of, um, high technology imaging that's available now. So I did finish all my chemotherapy first and then I had a I had a radical mastectomy because my surgeon was uncomfortable to leave any kind of tissue behind and then I did extra radiation as well. Okay, yeah. Well, and that's probably good because you're here 24 years yeah. later was, to talk about it, right? I was just going to say that. Exactly. that you, you are kind of a walking miracle to be yeah. to be diagnosed at a time when they really didn't know a lot about it or and in some cases didn't know anything about it and yet they still somehow figured it out. And you were you said you were three, stage 3B when you were diagnosed? Yeah. Yeah, so that's that you've you've you are kind of proof that that there's hope. And so wherever somebody is in their journey with this, um, we're really hoping that they're listening to this story because you are a walking miracle, my friend. Definitely. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you. That's so, why I, I choose to do this work. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we get that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sure you do. Yeah. Uh, when when you're when you're uh, affected the way we were affected and the way you were affected it's it you know it really does feel like what god put me on this earth to do so i feel very honored to be able to do it so um let's talk about doctors and their education around this uh inflammatory breast cancer um would you say most doctors know about inflammatory breast cancer at this point that might be a little too generous. I think it's covered <laughs> wow, in medical really? school. Yeah. But I think, again, because they're told it's not common, or in fact, using that term rare, um, it's just not on people's radar because they don't expect to see it. 
Right. And yeah. I would imagine if you, you know, have a rash or some weird little thing like that going on with your breast, your breast is enlarged and uh, swollen and maybe even painful. Um, you know, a lot of the things we talk about is breast cancer is not painful, right? That's kind of one of exactly. those things. Yeah. And that so could be that's, very confusing, I'm sure. That actually isn't true in this case because it can be very painful. And so I can see how there's lots of confusion. So when when a woman goes like to her GP or her nurse practitioner, who's her um, a person that she sees on a regular basis, uh, I guess really that education needs to go right all the way through that medical system because you're not going to go to an oncologist for True. breast being swollen, you know, I mean, you, you, so you'd have to rely on your GP or uh, internist to really understand all of this, right? Yes, absolutely. One of the biggest accomplishments we feel like we've been able to do as an organization was to get the National Comprehensive Cancer Network to make a change in their screening guidelines, which are adopted by, you know, all the major cancer centers and are out there for any physician and actually any patient to access. It's a little cumbersome to do online, but they updated one of their screening guidelines that discussed the changes to the breast skin that could be serious, and it's a great logarithm that walks the doctor through what should be done to rule out inflammatory mm-hmm. breast cancer. Awesome. Right. Well, Jenny, let me ask you a question. When... When did you kind of switch gears in your career and decide that you wanted to join up with the with the foundation, the Inflammatory Breast Cancer Research Foundation? Had to read it; it's a long one. So, when did you it's do a that? Long, and, long yeah. name. <laughs> so, when did you do that? Well, when I was diagnosed, as I said, I was working in outpatient mental health, saving up to go back and get my master's in nursing so that I could be a nurse midwife. That was my goal. I love maternal child health. Mm -hmm. But when the cancer came along and I was told I probably would be dead in 12 to 18 months, it was like, hmm, maybe we need to rethink this. Oh, my Oh, my. And, you know, not what you want to hear at, what, 41 by then. No, it's not. Oh, my gosh. You know, I got to share a little quick analysis of, here's what I say about statistics. I, I think they're bunk. And... I mean, I know that if they're good, if they, you know, if somebody tells you whatever, you don't even really need to hear. If you've got a life-threatening illness, you know it. And if it helps you get your affairs in order, we should all do that anyway. But the problem I have with statistics is they can be 100% accurate and 100% wrong at the same time. And when I go out and speak, I have have this slide that I show that, and I have to do it with an exaggeration. But if I have a a six-foot person and a four-foot person, What's their average height? Five feet. Five feet, mm-hmm. right? Right, which, right? So that's 100% accurate. But which one of them is five feet? Which makes it 100% wrong. So, right. you know, and, you know, when I, was, when I was diagnosed the first time, they gave me a 60% chance to survive past five years, and that was 21 years ago. And then I was given a 53% chance to live past five years and the second time around, and that was 13 years ago. So, you know, I, I think I, I just, we really encourage people not to pay too much attention or give too much weight to that. And you're another example that I'm going to add to my stories. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Um, that's that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So anyway, so well, I think I that's I remember bunk. telling so, the doctor when um, he said I had a 3% chance of being alive in five years. I said, I took oh, statistics oh. in college. 
I know that somebody's got to be in that 3%. I'm aiming for that one. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. 3%. Wow. Wow. And you sure were. So here you are. That's awesome. So let me ask you, what are some of the, you know, doing work like this, Sharon and I know some because we've been doing this work for 17 years, you know, with breast friends. But what are some of the greatest challenges you face in, in doing your work? And, and then tell us about the foundation, too, because I don't really know everything that you guys do. Oh, my. That's a big question. (laughs) That's why we ask Um, it. It's a good one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I actually got involved with the organization at at the very uh, ground-breaking time when I was graduating with just my bachelor's degree in nursing. I went back and decided I'd just work at that, needing to have more initials after my name when I started having some health uh, treatment-related issues with my health. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and I met this gentleman who'd lost his wife to IBC, and he mm-hmm. was planning to start a nonprofit focused on research. And I was adamant about the need for research of this disease because there mm-hmm. just was nothing happening. Uh, that was 18 years ago. Wow. And so mm-hmm. I got involved as we were filing the 501c3 papers and just... I joke and say it's kind of snowballed and taken over my life in those 18, <laughs> a little over 18 years. Sharon, um, does that sound familiar at all? <laughs> when I started. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Yeah, that's, we were as well. So, so, so you actually got in on the ground floor of this then, and you've been deeply involved ever since the beginning of it. That's, that's yes, wonderful. At first, I just handled the calls that came to our toll-free number because as a survivor and also a, a nurse with background in outpatient mental health, I could deal with the people who were calling in quite distressed. And mm-hmm. while not giving medical advice, I could help guide people into making uh, decisions as to what they needed to do next and help to guide them to the resources that would be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And pull them off the ceiling at the same time. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have a lot in common, actually. We this do. is pretty cool. I know. Um, it, it's very, it's really important, yeah, yeah, to understand that. Yeah. So what are the challenges? What, what's, where do you guys struggle or whatever? I think I'm still very frustrated that there are women who don't get an adequate diagnosis quickly and have to fight so hard to get someone to pay attention to them. That's that's a real frustration, yeah. and um, I think I, I've seen an improvement, but it's still a problem. Because yeah. in the amount of time when you were when you first discovered your breast was was swollen and looked sick, as your husband said, till the time they actually finally diagnosed it and began treating you, there's a lot of time lapse in there. And you know, if it's aggressive, that can change if you don't get it properly diagnosed right away. I can see why that would be extremely frustrating. Yeah, yeah. And but there's also blessings with everything that you do in this. So, what are some of the greatest blessings? Oh, some of the most wonderful people that have come into my life as a result of getting involved in this work. Um, I joke and say my best friends are in the advocacy community. And the amazing uh, patients that I've gotten to know who have become personal friends, the downside yeah. of that is the loss that comes with working in advocacy, too, is... Oh, boy, you know, isn't that the truth? Mm-hmm. bits of your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like you said, when, when women with... Uh, inflammatory breast cancer, they're usually later stages. So yeah, that's 
Oof, that would be, I mean, we, we deal with that too, but luckily not as many people are at later stages. Um, what we're finding since we've been doing this for 17 years is some of the people that we got involved with many years ago when they went through their original diagnosis are coming back with either a recurrence or their um, metastatic at this point. And so that's been mm-hmm. that's been challenging because we've yeah. had these relationships for a long time. So I totally get <laughs> how yeah. hard that is. Woof. But, you know, and I know that's that's very true. But on the other side of the coin, because there's been so much attention paid to, to breast cancer, and it sounds like there's still some work to do with, with inflammatory breast cancer, but there's been so much more attention. There's so many research dollars going into it. They're finding new treatments and new processes. And, I mean, when I think of the difference between my first time around in 1996 to my most recent diagnosis, which just came to me in September of last year. So I've, I've just finished radiation at the end of November and everything has just kind of changed so much. And there's so so much much more hope now and more women are surviving than ever before. And hopefully if they catch it early enough, um, you know, there's still, there's still an effort afoot to change screenings to age 50. And Uh Sharon, I don't know if you're, if I shared this with you, but I talked with the folks um, that were working with the, with that uh, measure that we were back in in Washington D.C. kind of working toward, but they actually got another one year moratorium on put, putting that into law. Oh, good. And or the policy it's not a law; it's a policy. Right. But a policy, um, yeah. so we still have one more year to kind of fight that issue. But they're trying to change uh, mandatory or excuse me uh, recommendations for breast for mammogram screenings. God, I'm getting tongue tied here to age 50 instead of 40, and then every two years instead of every year. And and what that does is it just affects what the insurance companies are required to pay for. You can right. still go in at 40, sure. and you can still go in every year, but you might not get them covered once right. that becomes and you know, if you And if, it's, it, if there's symptoms, then it, right. it's considered diagnostic rather than screening. Yes, that's true. And so that's those true. would be covered. So yes. whether... Yeah. We want women to become vigilant early, not later, thinking, well, it can't be can- cancer because I'm not supposed to even be screened until I'm 50. And that's the mixed message that kind of comes right. with, with rules like that. So mm-hmm. so we're still doing everything in our power to keep it at 50, I mean 40, <laughs> and not move it to 50. <laughs> and hopefully women will continue to stay vigilant with that. Well, on that note, we're going to go out to break. Um, we'll be back in a minute, so stay tuned. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our women's cancer program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. 
From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about inflammatory breast cancer with our guest, Ginny Mason. So um, it sounds like you really got a curveball there when you were uh, diagnosed with your inflammatory breast cancer. You were planning on going back to school for one thing, and then it sounds like you shifted gears. Why don't we start there? Okay. Yes, you're right. I was working on the path of becoming a nurse midwife, and when the cancer derailed that, I thought I should at least try to get enough education that I could keep working as a nurse and perhaps from a desk as I couldn't do lifting anymore after the mastectomy. And so I did finish my bachelor's degree in nursing while working full-time after cancer. That's work after you've had chemotherapy. That's yeah, a no lot. Kidding. That's a lot. <laughs> but my husband jokes and says that my cancer diagnosis lit a fire under me to accomplish things. And I became this outspoken, um, motivated person that, um, let's just say changed our lives a bit. Mm -hmm. I bet in a lot (laughs) of ways. (laughs) Yeah. I began getting opportunities to speak out about breast cancer, which was outside my comfort zone, but I thought, well, if they're asking, maybe I should do it. And then I met um, Owen, and we started the foundation. And that became, I joke and say, like a snowball that starts down the hill. Gradually, it picked up momentum, and I got more opportunities. The foundation got more opportunities, and it's just grown into um, pretty much taking over my life. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So what year did the foundation start? (laughs) (laughs) Jenny, what, what year did the foundation start? We started in 1999. Okay. Amazing. That's great. And we've always been web-based, which in 99 was a very new idea. We didn't have a walk-in office because we all volunteer and work from our homes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, Sharon and I used to work out of the trunk of a car. and (laughs) Wherever, our dining room tables, wherever, yeah, wherever we could. So, So what is your role at the foundation, Ginny? Well, I have the lofty title of executive director, which just means responsible for everything. 
Yeah, <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> it's a simple way to put it, isn't it? <laughs> yes, I. while Owen was, our founder, was still a part of the foundation, I used to say I did everything he didn't want to do. And then after about 10 or 11 years, he stepped down uh, to focus on some other things in his life, and he had remarried. And I said, oh, gee, now I have to do everything that I did before, plus everything that he did. Oh, good. Right. Oh, dear. <laughs> that sounds like a lot. <laughs> yeah. So is there ongoing but, research for for uh, inflammatory breast cancer? That's... Um... Yes. We, um, since we don't do active fundraising other than some online fundraisers, we, we operate, as we say, fly by the seat of our pants, as, again, you know very well, as small nonprofits do. Yes. When we have enough funds, we um, do fund research, and we've worked, we, we say we, we foster or facilitate research. Sometimes it's helping to accrue patients to a trial, develop a trial, Mm-hmm. Um, it can, you know, uh, being involved in research can take lots of different angles, but we have funded over $500,000 worth of, of wow. IPC-specific research. That's, That's amazing. That's wonderful. That's yeah. wonderful. And, and I love the idea of being able to connect patients with clinical trials. That's huge. Uh, that was our very first research project was working with a trial at the National Cancer Institute, very small trial, 20 patients, but they needed newly diagnosed inflammatory breast cancer patients, and it was such a unique experience to help with publicizing that trial and getting patients directed there that we were able to bring in 19 of those 20 patients to that trial. Oh. Oh, I just got wonderful. goosebumps. That's fabulous. Well, yeah, that is yeah. wonderful. And so, um, the, oh, I was no, just go ahead. Plus, we had the opportunity to help some young investigators learn the value of working with patient advocates, and that they've both. Two of the women have said it has followed them the rest of their careers. Nice, nice. Well, it changes people's paths, as we know. You know, when we when you realize, especially. I guess I hadn't really thought about it being diagnosed on a general basis very late stages. So that makes sense. But that, to me, that means there needs to be more and more research so we mm-hmm. can either diagnose it earlier because right. I think that's really what, what's happened with the whole mammogram thing. It's because it's improved, improved, improved all these years where people are diagnosed very early many times now. And, uh, yeah, so that's that's interesting. That That's a big piece of it right there, I think. Oh, so, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what can people do to help raise awareness uh, uh, or help research in this situation uh, for inflammatory breast cancer? Well, I tell people every time you learn the basic symptoms of inflammatory breast cancer and share them with somebody else, you know, you become an advocate for the disease. Uh, We tell patients who have been diagnosed to try and contact their local paper and things like that because human interest stories that get out there can have such incredible impact. Mm -hmm. And we women are great. If we're out together having coffee and one of them says, you know, my breast has been hurting and and it's itchy, and, and someone will say, 
you know what? I heard about this thing called inflammatory breast cancer. You ought to go online and find out more about it. You know, yeah. we do a great job of that, kind of like that throwing a, a stone in a pond and those ripples go out. You have no right. idea how many times that might save somebody's life or at least get them in to be evaluated because they've, they've heard about it from another friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that would be very helpful. So, Jenny, what do you tell patients when they have those symptoms? They go to their doctor and, like, what happened to you? You know, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. What do you tell them to do? I tell them nowadays you can document changes in your breast with digital cameras. It's great to be able to say, okay, this is how it looks today. In three days you take a picture and you can go back and say, okay, this is how it's been changing. You know, this is not going away. I need to see someone else. We encourage patients to go to a breast center that has a breast specialist because usually a breast surgeon has had experience with the disease and ask, do you know about inflammatory breast cancer? And if they've Mm -hmm. diagnosed it, hopefully then they will have more experience. And you just, as I said before, you really have to be your own advocate and just keep pushing yeah, and uh, and being uh, saying that, I think uh, Jenny, I would love for you to give us an article, breast friends, an article, so we can put it both on our website and on maybe our newsletter to remind people about this. It just seems like the the thing that we can do to help um, get that message out too, even if it doesn't come up very often. That one person, it matters. You know, exactly. Sharon, that's a Back that's a that great idea. One, you're not a statistic. You're, yeah. you know, you never you're know what your outcome's going to be. And I remind patients of that regularly. Sadly, mm-hmm. we still have a very high mortality rate in inflammatory breast cancer, and yeah. it's it's a real conundrum to see why some people don't respond as well to treatment as another. People often ask me, what drugs did you have, and did you change your diet? Did you do this or do you that? I want to do exactly what you did because you're still exactly. here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah, that's a great idea. I, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I apologize. I haven't looked at your website in a while, but um, do you have videos that we could also maybe put on our website that would be helpful for people in that respect? We don't have ones that we've done ourselves, but I can link you to um, some that were done by a group that um, I filmed at San Antonio last year. Okay, good. Good, good, oh, good. That's great. Yeah. So how can our listeners learn more about this whole issue and how, you know, what resources do you have now that people can plug into and listen to? We, um, oh, in fact, we're in the process of redoing our website, but we have a lot of just basic information there about the disease. We have some historical articles. Do you know inflammatory breast cancer was first written about in 1812? Oh, my gosh. No, I had no idea. Wow. And and they knew it was breast cancer at the time? Yes, they called it carcinoma of pregnancy because it was more commonly seen in young pregnant women. Right. Wow. Yeah. Who knew that? And then the next one was 1924, um, Lee and Tannenbaum's article. We have copies of these on our website And I find it very distressing that we don't know a lot more about the disease than we did in 1924. 
I know, that's right? Stressing oh, that's crazy. a shame. That's a shame. Uh, yeah. One one quick question before we finish that thought, um, so I don't lose it. <laughs> so, <laughs> all the money that is given to breast cancer research, is there a portion of that that comes to inflammatory breast cancer? Not automatically. We have to fight tooth and nail for every dollar that goes okay. this direction. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that probably makes sense. Unfortunately, but. Hmm. Okay, wow. well, we're getting close to the end of our we show. Are. So, I, Jenny, I, what, what's your what's your email? I mean, your your web address, Jenny. Before we forget to ask that question, I know you're redoing it. www.ibcresearch.org. Okay, IBC for inflammatory breast cancer. In case they can't remember, research.org. Okay, and then you are working on a new website, so it sounds like you've got some great uh, links and in- information on there. So we are so thankful that you joined our show today. And Sharon, did you have any last parting questions? Um, Oh, I'll probably think of something when we hang up. (laughs) I do want to talk about our our new app. And once we get some information from Jenny um, onto our website, that'll pull some some new content onto our new app. So I want to make sure people know about that. But before I talk about it, Jenny, I want to say thank you to you for giving up your time this morning. You're on the East Coast, so it's probably not even morning for you. It still is for us. But we really thank you so much for, for coming on our show. This has been incredibly helpful. And I know that people are going to pay a little bit more attention to that red rash that they might have or, you know, anything going on with their breasts that they can't really explain. So thank you. You may have saved some lives today. We really appreciate you. Um, so oh, thank for you the so list- much. It's been my You're pleasure. Welcome. You're welcome. So for our listeners out there, we do have our website, which is www.breastfriends.org. And we have a lot of resources on there and links to cancer facts and and information. And then we have also created a new app that you is available through Google Play or through the App Store. And it, it's just titled Breast Friends App. And make sure you put the word app in there because there's all kinds of hinky stuff <laughs> that could come up otherwise. So it's the Breast Friends app. And what's really cool about it is, and it's brand new. I mean, we just literally launched it like this last week. So um, what's really cool about it is you can visit as a guest and tap into just a lot of um, questions and and concerns and all of that. Or you can also log in as a as a registered visitor and all I think all we need on there Sharon I think is just your name and your email and then that gets you into our community where you can ask questions answer other people's questions um, you know if you're an expert in something boy feel free to chime in because uh, it's a it's a really good resource so again it's breast friends app through Google Play or the App Store and we have to go now so we will be back next week and until then remember there is always hope and we're here to help you find it Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.